While a visit with your OBGYN can be awkward for some women, especially if you have questions regarding your vaginal health, it is a necessary step to ensure that you're getting the answers that you need. Whether you're visiting an OBGYN for gynecologic or prenatal-related care, we're here to share what questions you should not be embarrassed to ask your OBGYN. Welcome to Checkup Chat with Evergreen Health. I'm Melanie Cole. Joining me is Erin Kendall. She's a physician's assistant from Evergreen Health OBGYN. Erin, thank you so much for joining us. This is such a great topic to discuss because our health should never be something that we're embarrassed about or embarrassed to discuss. Is hesitancy regarding symptoms, things that you see in healthcare or in your own practice, do you see women that are embarrassed a little bit to ask you about things, whether it's vaginal health or intimacy issues, any of those sorts of things? Yes, Melanie. Thank you so much for having me, by the way. I am so excited to be here talking to you and everyone listening. But yes, it can be very common. People do have a lot of concerns and they're embarrassed to ask. But it's really important when you come to see us as providers. We do this a lot. So the question that you asked, we probably have heard it before, if not multiple times. And it's important for us to know so that we can help answer those questions, those concerns, reassure you, and then, of course, treat you. So it is important for sure. Well, I imagine, I mean, as somebody who was not really ever embarrassed to talk about, well, anything really, and certainly not my own symptoms, I know that some women have that hesitancy. So I'm so glad that you said that. And I'd like to outline some questions that your patients often initially might be hesitant to ask. So let's start with some of these. When should our teenage daughters begin to see their OBGYN? When do we bring them in for the first time? Yeah. So Melanie, this is an excellent question. And I'll be honest, it's actually a little bit more difficult to answer. Because OB-GYNs essentially are the specialists in women's health, right? And primary cares and pediatricians as well can do a lot of the basic things that we would do as well. For instance, like pediatricians, ourselves, and OB-GYN will talk about birth control, heavy menses, STD screening, sex education, making sure vaccines are up to date. So we all kind of do the same thing a little bit. So you can honestly come to OB-GYN as soon as you need us. We have some patients who come because their parents have seen us. My youngest patient is probably 14. Other times we get referrals from primary cares or pediatricians because of concerns that our patients have and the pediatrician has tried certain things and it's not working. Other things specifically, something really to keep in mind if you don't need to see an OB-GYN specifically, or even, you know, you're nice and healthy, no problems with menses or concerns in general, we definitely say your first pap smear, which essentially screens for cervical cancer, does need to start from majority of women at age 21. So I'm kind of going back to the whole, if you've never seen a provider for anything besides an annual, that is definitely a time that you need to see a new primary care or OB-GYN to make sure that you're up to date on those very important screening tests that we can do. And then something I feel like I have to mention because I do work in OB-GYN and it is very close to my heart is the importance of education regarding specifically HPV vaccines. These can be started at early as age nine, but definitely less than 15. And that's two doses. 
And then if you're older than 15, it's three doses. But we see through research this really, really can help decrease your risk of cervical cancers and sometimes even what new data is saying, throat, brain, neck cancers that we're seeing in this very large HPV family class. And really the biggest thing is getting these vaccines on early before you're sexually active to help protect you before you ever see it. Well, I'm glad that you brought up because I was going to ask you questions about HPV anyway for our girls and our boys are getting this vaccine. And it is one of those cancer preventive vaccines that is so rare today and so important. Now, just sticking for a minute with bringing our girls in for the first time, because I remember bringing my daughter in and she was so nervous and she asked me, am I going to get an examination? And my doctor said, I will only do what you are comfortable with. Erin, tell us a little bit about how you work with girls that young that may be so embarrassed. They're going through puberty. They're a little bit nervous about their bodies. You said about pap smears, not till 21. But what about a breast exam? What about looking around down there, make sure everything's where it should be and doing what it's supposed to be doing? How does that all work with a new hesitant teen? Yeah. And that's also really hard as well. The first thing I do, of course, I introduce myself. I think I'm kind of awesome and I try and bring that bubbly, genuine, fun and like atmosphere with me. I hope that puts them a little bit at ease. And then really I talk to them because it really depends why they're in here. Are they here for breast pain that is not correlated with their menses cycle? Are they here because of abnormal vaginal discharge or very painful menses, abnormal mensy bleeding? Do I need to do a pelvic exam? And that's a discussion that I always do share decision making with my patients to kind of tell them what I can do and then what they're comfortable with. And if they're not comfortable with it, I, of course, would never do it. It is always your body. And if you aren't comfortable with an exam, that is okay. It's just very much dependent on how the patients and I connect, what they're comfortable with after we talk about the reason for certain exams and what they're really here at the appointment to do. Well, thank you. And I can tell that you you do put your patients at ease and you do have a cool personality. So some other questions that we want to get to breakthrough bleeding. This is something every single woman I have known throughout my life worries about when they see it. If it's not that time of the month, if it's not supposed to be happening, is this normal? So we'll start with breakthrough bleeding. And I'll be honest, I wouldn't say that it is normal, but it is very, very common. And I will tell you, because it's not normal, it doesn't mean that it's dangerous, if that makes sense. So usually the cause of breakthrough bleeding or spotting when it's not your menses tends to be benign. For example, some things can be, of course, our younger women. It's just our body is new and that communication between your brain and your reproductive cycle, sending those signals to essentially regulate your hormones and your menses is learning. So sometimes it doesn't learn as well and sometimes it makes mistakes. So sometimes that can happen fairly commonly in our younger women. Another reason that can cause breakthrough bleeding as well, you have to think about contraception use. I'll be honest with you, women who have IUDs, Nexplanons, if they are using birth control pills or the vaginal hormonal ring continuously, you can have breakthrough bleeding sometimes if you don't give your period every three to four months when you have a period sometimes with the birth control pill and the Nuva ring. And with the IUD and again, the Nexplanons are saying it can be common to randomly have spotting. 
And that is a very normal thing to happen. The other thing, of course, I cannot stress this enough is stress. <laughs> stress can wreak havoc on a woman's menstrual cycle. So sometimes if you're a little more stressed, finals are coming up, life in general, we all know it's hectic, but sometimes stress is all that we need for a little bit of beating and then it goes away. And there are, of course, also structural reasons for it as well. And those we can also look for with imaging. And we can also treat those as well if they are there to stop the breakthrough bleeding if it continues. I will say, though, specifically in our women over 40. So if you're 40 years and older and you have breakthrough bleeding or abnormal spotting, we want you to actually come in for a workup because we want to make sure that we're not missing anything egregious. And we would, of course, make sure that you are safe and hopefully everything is nice and normal. And then really, when I talk about the rest of our patient population, if you are concerned about it, if it becomes a pattern, like you see this irregular bleeding and spotting, two, three, four cycles, come in and see us. We will absolutely do a workup and then treat you based on what we find. If we find anything on imaging and then offer you options as well to help stop the breakthrough bleeding. Now, what about intercourse pain? Some women have pain with intercourse. And I know there are a few conditions that can signal that, or it can just be really anatomical. Speak about that briefly for us. Pain with intercourse can be very common. It's not normal, but it can happen. And really, again, the vagina is an exceptional organ and she's kind of like a muscle. So those of us who are maybe not as experienced with intercourse it might be a little bit uncomfortable. But usually, as you have a little bit more intercourse with your partner, it tends to get better. But I also want to talk about, very importantly, the difference between discomfort and pain. And let me think of maybe an analogy. Let's say you're doing squats on a rack, and you're squatting, let's say, 150 pounds. Beautiful technique. You do that squat, and your legs are burning a little bit. They feel like they're kind of stretching a little bit. But you know you're building that muscle. Now, let's say you're doing your squats like you normally do. Beautiful technique. And let's say someone drops something to your left, weights on the floor, it's a huge noise. And you turn your body and squat. And now what you've done is you feel a burning, excruciating pain to your low back because of poor technique. That is the thing that I can think of right now for an analogy with intercourse. If you have pain like that, or if you're ever uncomfortable, please talk to your partner and have them stop. It's very important to communicate with your partner. So please keep that in mind. As I do have to mention, of course, and there's something called vaginismus, as well as vaginal spasms. And for women who have these disorders, please let us know. There are absolutely ways that we can help treat you for these to make intercourse more comfortable. Some things to keep in mind regarding perimenopause and menopause so age around maybe early 40s, mid 40s, because of the low estrogen levels, you can have increased pain with intercourse. But the good thing is, if you have this as well, please let us know. We can also treat you for this. What great advice, Aaron. Wow, this is so informative. As a last question, I would just like you to speak a little bit about STIs and what you're seeing in the different populations and what someone should do. If they had unprotected sex with someone, they haven't gotten tested yet, what would you like them to know about protection for sexually transmitted infections? And then any final thoughts that you have, wrap it up for us. STIs are very close to my heart and they are preventable because that's the big thing. 
with new partners or maybe partners you don't know as well, condoms are super, super important as a barrier method to STIs. Also, of course, shared sexual toys, making sure those are clean as well or using a condom too can also help protect you if you're unsure about where has that other sexual toy been if you have been sharing them. So that's the first one, of course. The second, please get tested. Unfortunately, with STIs, a lot of people who have them do not have symptoms. So you have no idea that you have them. A lot of the times, the only reason that we know that you have them is if we test you for them. The thing to know about STIs is that some are treatable and some are not. So gonorrhea and chlamydia, very common, very treatable. And we do need to treat those to make sure they don't wreak further havoc on the body, possibly later in life. There's also, of course, HIV, syphilis, as well as herpes. Syphilis, all these things, HIV, herpes, these are all treatable as well. They are not something that we can essentially fully treat or fully get rid of, like gonorrhea and chlamydia with an antibiotic. But we can give you medications, antivirals to help suppress as well as not spread them to other partners. And let me back up the syphilis we can absolutely treat, by the way. It's really the HIV and genital herpes that we cannot treat but can suppress as well as get that viral load so you can't pass it on to others. Insurance tends to cover screening for STIs. You might be charged a copay depending on your insurance, but at your annual, every year, your insurance will actually cover STI screening. So you might absolutely do that. And something to also follow with guidelines, we do recommend women, men under 25 yearly STI screening just to make sure. And then our men and women over 25, we recommend screening, of course, as needed, but specifically with new partners just to make sure. And really the biggest things I have to leave everyone with is that honestly, the best patient advocate for you is yourself. Okay, no one else can do it better. Okay, so if you have questions, if you have concerns, please, please ask. You'll never have an answer unless you ask. And Google, as we know, can tell us everything that can go wrong. So please ask us. And then my wee joke, because we live in the Pacific Northwest, if there's ever sunshine, you know, in the area, please go outside, enjoy some sun and some fresh air. Thank you, Melanie, so much for having me. Thank you, Erin. What a great episode this was. You really speak to women and in such a passionate, compassionate way. I can hear that in your voice. And thank you so much for joining us. The ability to even talk about this can really help women who might be hesitant to ask some of these questions. And the women's health specialists at Evergreen Health are available to address all health concerns that you may have, regardless of sensitivity. To find a women's health specialist, please visit evergreenhealth.com. That concludes this episode of Checkup Chat with Evergreen Health. Thank you so much for joining us.